be seated. This is pretty cool. I don't know how to keep the vibe going with my corny voice, but I'm going to do my best. 
We're in a series called Worship, and we're asking the question, what are we doing? This is our series. What are we doing? I keep on going back to the statistic that says only 35% of people when they come to church feel like through the practices that they're doing in church help them feel connected with God. And I don't know if it's necessarily because the practices are bad. I don't think that they are. I think that sometimes it's because we just kind of go through the motions. And in this series, we're unpacking what that looks like so we can expose it for what it is. I don't wanna go through the motions. I wanna really, really connect. I wanna really, really worship. I wanna really, really praise. And that's what we're doing tonight. But what is it? What is praise? Everybody say that word, praise. Praise. What is it? It showed up over and again in that Bible reading tonight from Psalm chapter 150. It says this, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heaven. What does it mean to praise though? Well, here's what the Hebrew word sounds like. It's halal. Everybody go ahead and say halal. Kind of sounds like you're saying, hey y'all, but mixed with lol, L-O-L-R-O-F-L. I'm just having a good time. Halal. And it literally means to praise, to shine, to boast. And I think that if you just look around this room tonight, what's happening, you would know that's exactly what praise is, isn't it? Is this room not shining? Man, is it not boasting? But what do we boast in? Like, where are we finding our security? Where are we finding our safety? Where are we finding our meaning? Where are we finding our purpose? See, to praise God is to acknowledge who he is. It's to acknowledge who he is. And who is God? 1 John chapter four defines it really beautifully. You ready for this? It just says, God is love. Turn to the person next to you and say, God is love. If you're gonna know anything about God, it's this, God is love. And don't get me wrong, there's so much more to know about God and it's really, really good. But before you know anything about God, you need to know this, God loves you. God cares about you. God is obsessed with you. God decided this world wasn't complete until you were in it. You matter that much to God. So when you are praising God, when you are acknowledging God for who God is, you are saying you are the God of love. And God, when I am worshiping you and I'm declaring who you are, I am receiving your love. I'm embracing that identity. My identity is I am beloved. There's an author in the Bible and his name is John. He actually wrote that thing right there. And John was a disciple of Jesus and he wrote one of the gospel accounts which tells the stories about Jesus. But John never calls himself John. Isn't that kind of crazy? John only calls himself by one name. Are you ready? Beloved. Before he could call himself anything, at the bottom of any foundation in his life, it was, I am loved by my best friend, Jesus. I'm loved by him. I'm adored by him. He's crazy about me. And if I had nothing else, I would have that and it would be enough. And that's why we worship him. That's why we worship him. Now, whether you call it worship or not, the truth is every single person that you've ever met, we all worship. We can't help it. Sure, 35% of people when they come into church and they go through worship practices, they feel that connection with God. But every single person that you have ever met has this commitment to worship. There was this great author, and I mean great author. He died about 10 years ago, and he had this interview. 
And in his interview, he talked about worshiping. And it was very interesting because this is a man who identified as agnostic. He didn't adopt a faith. But he had this very, very interesting thing to say. He said, here's something weird, but true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what we worship. And the compelling thing for choosing a spiritual God is that anything else you worship will eat you alive. Aren't you glad you came to Kairos tonight? He continued by saying, if you worship money, you worship things. And if that's where you tap into real life, you'll never have enough stuff. If you worship your body, you'll always feel ugly. When time and age start showing, you'll die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Everybody worships. Every single one of us goes beyond worshiping. Do you understand what it means to worship? Not only is everybody worshiping, everyone bets their life on something. Everyone bets, if I had that thing, that would be enough. But the compelling thing for this spiritual God, for the actual creator of the universe, is every single other God that we could worship says, less of you for more of me. I will take and you will give. If you want to make another dollar, you'll have to work another hour. If you want to get another like, you'll have to make another post. If you want to look better, you're gonna have to work harder. If you wanna lose a pound, you'll have to sweat another ounce. More of me, less of you. What does it leave us with? It leaves us feeling empty because we need more. We need more. One of the richest people who's ever lived, he one time said it this way, the next million dollars is the thing that's gonna satisfy me. And you know what he said after he made the next million? The next million dollars is gonna satisfy me. And you know what he said after he made the next million? The next million dollars will satisfy me. If you come to Kairos more than like twice, you know I love Tom Brady. You know what Tom Brady said about all his Super Bowls? You know what the best one is? The next one. It's never enough. We bet our life on something that's not a true foundation. We bet our life on something that needs us more than we need it. Social media, it needs you more than you need it. Do you know that? Approval in society, it needs you more than you need it. We are the food that it eats. But do you know what's so interesting about God? Here's why God's so compelling to worship. God doesn't need me. God doesn't actually need me. And that is so humbling and yet so liberating, especially when we open God's word in Ephesians chapter one, one of my favorite verses, it says, before God made the world, God loved us. God doesn't need me, but God wants me. Do you know that? God doesn't need you, but God wants you. And what's better? When I was a sophomore in high school, I was in a gym class with all seniors. I don't know how it happened. But every single day when we would pick teams and it was this ruthless, horrifying, embarrassing, humiliating experience. 
Because you had like these 18-year-olds standing there waiting to be chosen. And here I am, gangly, 100-pound Danny householder with armpits naked as a mole rat. I have not even passed through the first stages of puberty. And every single time, I was the last one to get chosen. And I didn't get chosen because any team wanted me. I got chosen because they had to have me. Well, I guess we need this guy. I guess we have to have him. How much better is it that when God looks over all the universe, everything that he's ever made, have you ever looked at the night sky? I don't know if it's a clear night tonight or not, but if it is, look out at the night sky. The stars that are absolutely immeasurable in their weight and in their mass. These things that have been around for so long that it takes hundreds of millions of light years just to reach our planet. God sees all of it and God says, I want you more. Because this is the place God showed up to. You are the one that God loves. You are his child. Just like John, you get to say, I'm beloved. This is the compelling reason for worshiping God. You see, worship is to gladly accept God's love. It is to gladly accept it. It's I've tasted and seen the rest of the world, but nothing compares to the joy that I've found in God. Nothing compares. What are you building your life on? What are you betting your life on? Is it big enough? I mean, really, is it great enough? Is it immovable enough? A couple of years ago, I told this story, so some of you might recognize it, but a couple of years ago, I had the worst splinter of my life. The worst. You ever step on just the tiniest little piece of wood and you try to get off in time, but your body's still moving forward and just, just slips in there. It's a searing pain. I couldn't get it out. I tried to perform surgery on myself. It just wasn't working. And I went through a day of it. I'm like, okay, I mean, if I really press on it, I feel it. And then the next day, like, okay, maybe like every other step made me wince. And then eventually it got to a point where I could not so much as touch my foot to the ground without screaming, help me. This is so bad. This is how bad it went. I actually had to go to a podiatrist, a foot doctor. I couldn't get this thing out of my foot. I go in, I check in and they're like, oh, what are you here for? Do you have some major injury? I said, I, I have a splinter. Meanwhile, I hear some like teenage girl in the room next door. Yeah, broke my ankle wrestling the other day. Boy, I felt real good about myself. And then so the podiatrist, she picks up my foot and she's looking at it and she's picking at it. And she goes, oh, wait, uh, well, mm, well, she keeps on stabbing. I keeps on moving. And then she goes, oh, there's that tiny little guy. She holds it up. She goes, can you see it? I'm like, no. She goes, yeah, that's just tiny. It was embarrassing. I mean, my goodness, this tiny little thing, this tiny little wood splinter, you could have thrown it at me as hard as you possibly wanted to, and it wouldn't have impacted me. It wouldn't have hurt me. But the moment that I tried to stand on it, the moment that I tried to make it my foundation, it's not that it was a bad thing. It's just it wasn't meant for me to stand on. And the things that are too small, that aren't good enough, that aren't big enough, that aren't great enough for you to stand on, it's not because they're bad stuff. It's because they weren't made to carry you. They weren't made to be your foundation. So what do they do? They hurt us, they break us, they pierce us because they weren't made to be our foundation. I'll tell you what, you could chuck that little splinter at me as hard as you want, it would never hurt me. Now, meanwhile, this rock has the capability to hurt me. And if you threw this at me, I would run. But if I stand on it, 
it can hold me. Boy, that's a bad illustration because it's kind of a wobbly rock. (laughs) But it can be my foundation. So what's your foundation? What are you building on? Like, don't get me wrong. God is so powerful, it can be kind of scary, I know. But don't you know that God is love? This is the compelling reason for his worship. God is love. He can't stop loving you. He can't get over you. He's made this covenant, this union, this bond with you, and he's not letting it go. He will not let it go. There's this beautiful passage in the Old Testament that I think perfectly describes this. Hosea chapters one through three has been called the greatest chapters in all of literature. In Hosea chapter one, we read this. The Lord gave this message to Hosea. Hosea was a prophet. Now prophets, oftentimes when we think of prophets, we think of fortune tellers, future tellers, people who know what's gonna happen next. And don't get me wrong, sometimes God gave him a word about something that was going to happen. But even more than that, prophets would receive a word from God and they would live it out. Now, there was no prophet who had a more exceptional, strange, ridiculous, and maybe even embarrassing call upon his life than Hosea. See, in Hosea chapter one, God says, Hosea, I want you to go and get married. And Hosea's kind of like, okay, sweet, that's great. Then he finishes the sentence, I want you to go and get married to a prostitute. And Hosea's like, a little bit too much prophecy, God. See, they were living in a deeply misogynistic culture. And I know some of these problems still exist today. And in this deeply misogynistic culture, God is telling to Hosea, there are people in this world who are so complicated and so hurt and so broken and so confused that they've started to believe that they have to sell themselves to experience worth. God says this to Hosea, I'm gonna have you do this to illustrate my love for my people called Israel. My love for my people, this is what it's like. And God is saying to Hosea, Hosea, you're not gonna understand me. You're not gonna understand my faithfulness until you know what it's like to love someone with all your heart and everything that you have and to be obsessed with someone and to give your everything to someone who continually rejects you and chooses something else. And it's not always their fault. They've been told the wrong thing. They've been broken. They've been abused. They keep on getting bought. They keep on believing that they have to sell themselves for worth. Hosea, you're not gonna understand my kind of faithfulness until you're loving someone who has that kind of complication, who's been hurt that badly and is now hurting you that badly. Hosea, this is what my faithfulness is like. And so Hosea goes and marries a woman named Gomer. Bummer of a name, huh? I just always think it's a funny name. Apparently not in this crowd. And they have this beautiful life together. Have a couple kids. I wonder if Jose is feeling good about himself. Like, yeah, man of God redeemed her. I go home and I provide and I redeem and I love. And Then they have a third child. In the third child, Hosea names Loami, which means not mine. It happened again. It happened. The text does not say that Hosea left her. Instead, it says one day, Hosea woke up and Gomer was gone. I wonder what that was like. 
looking through the house. Hey, are you here? Searching through his neighborhood. Gomer? Love of my life, where are you? You see, Gomer started to understand what real faithfulness is like. Not Gomer, Hosea. Hosea started to understand what real faithfulness was like. It wasn't dependent on somebody else's. This is what God's faithfulness is like. So God gives Hosea another word. He said, hey, Hosea. I wonder if Hosea is like, please, no. He says, go and love your wife again. Yes, again. That wife who hurt you again. And then he said, this will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel. He still loves them. So Hosea has to leave his home. He has to leave his neighborhood. And in that misogynistic culture, they would actually have these city blocks. And in the city blocks, there would be this block of concrete where they would put women and have them stand there bearing all before the men of the community and they would sell them. It's how disgusting, how broken, how awful it was. And imagine what kind of people would hang out there. Does it surprise you that this man of God the prophet would go there? Can you imagine Hosea walking into that space? This is the man of God. This is a well-known man. Do you know how embarrassing that must have been? I mean, come on, man of God, prophet, holy one. You can't keep your wife happy enough to stay at home. He's walking through. Hey, have you seen Gomer? Like, Gomer, your wife? Yeah, I haven't seen her. Hey, have you seen her? Gomer, Gomer? Ah, geez, no, I haven't seen her. Hosea, you couldn't keep her at home? No. The text tells us that Hosea would have shown up to that place, that place where people of God apparently would never go. That block on the wrong side of town. And there's his wife standing on a concrete block, but it may as well be made of sand. She feels like she's being buried in that deeply misogynistic, broken culture, they would have stripped her naked so people could see what they were buying. And what do you think is going through Gomer's mind? Could you blame her? I mean, really, could you blame her for what she did? I mean, sure, she has this perfect marriage, right? But do apparently a perfect man, man of God, prophet, never does anything wrong. He redeemed me, huh? You ever think she got tired of it? Everything she felt like she didn't belong even in her own marriage. I'm not good enough for this. I'll go find my worth elsewhere, even if it means selling myself. And as she's standing there, exposed to everyone, the only thing she could have used to cover herself would have been her very eyelids. The only, le- the only bit of privacy she had left would be to close her eyes so people couldn't see her pupils. And if she had her eyes closed, she could hear the voices, the men shouting out prices as if you could buy a human being. And as she's hearing all these voices out of nowhere, all of a sudden she hears a voice that she can recognize and it's her husband. What is he doing here? 
this man of God, this prophet, why would he come to a place like this? And no matter what the bid was, it says that Hosea would bid more. No matter what the bid was, Hosea would bid more. And eventually he buys her back in a deeply misogynistic culture where apparently that was okay to do. And according to custom, he would have walked up to her, covered her with his cloak, and he would have said something into her ears. And he would have brought her home. Faithfulness. Real faithfulness doesn't depend on somebody else. Now remember, prophets would live out God's promises. Prophets would live out God's word and what God wanted to communicate to his people. And God said, this is how I love Israel. This is how I love my people. But when did God ever feel abused and abandoned and rejected and hurt? When did God ever suffer unfaithfulness? Well, about 750 years after Hosea lived, this man who was a prophet, there was the God man, Jesus Christ. And there was God walking in a place that no one ever would have expected God to walk, speaking to people nobody ever would have expected God to speak to. Being faithful. And in Jesus' story, who was it who stood on that block sold for 30 coins. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. They knelt before him in mockery and taunted, hail, king of the Jews. And they spit on him and they grabbed the stick and struck him in the head with it. He spoke. Nobody listened to him. Nobody cared for him. They continued to mock him. They continued to abuse him. They continued to hurt him. And from that cross, he says, yes, you people, Father, forgive them. My faithfulness to them does not depend on their faithfulness to me. And when they killed him, and it seemed like they shut his eyes for the final time, he raises again, and he has a conversation with his disciples. And just before he's about to ascend into his righteous seat next to the Father, he says, I'm with you always. I'm faithful always even to the end of the age. Remember what we said earlier? Everybody worships, as in everybody bets their life on something. Jesus gave his life for me. Jesus didn't just toss it up in the air. He didn't say maybe, no, he deliberately gave his life. He was faithful. He was faithful. Tonight is a night where we want to eliminate the distractions. We want to get close to God. And so I just want to invite you to try something really quick. Would you close your eyes? Sometimes we forget that Jesus was a real person who walked this world. And as he sits at the right hand of the Father, he's still this real person, fully God, fully human, real person. There he is. 
He was a real God, a real man. He had a real face. He had real lips, real nose, real eyes. Have you ever thought about how those eyes look at you? God said to Hosea, I want you to go and love your wife again. That's how I love my people. When Jesus looks at you, Jesus looks at you as if you are married to him. You are the love of his existence. You are the love of his life. You are his reason for showing up in this world. The only reason he is our reason for living is because he came to this space first. He loves you and he cares for you. He is faithful to you. Nothing would ever separate him from you. So the question for you tonight is this, what is it that you're betting your life on? What is it that you're looking for? What is it that you think can bring ultimate satisfaction to your soul? Look in so many different places for so many different things. And I'm telling you, there may not be something inherently wrong about that thing that you're chasing down right now. But if it's not Jesus and you're building your life on it, it's simply not great enough. It is not big enough to sustain you, to support you. But Jesus says, I am the solid rock. Build your life on me. Get to know me. Be faithful with me, but only because I am faithful to you. I will never let you go. I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. I will never forsake you. I will never, ever, 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 as it says in Hebrews chapter 13, leave you. I could never be separated from you. Nothing could distract me from you. He is faithful. He loves you. What are you looking for when you're searching through your phone and you're scrolling through social media and you desperately want something to like you? What are you looking for when you're sitting in class and you're dreaming about your future and you're wondering if it's ever going to come true? What are you looking for when you look up to the sky and you wonder if there's anyone out there? What are you looking for when you think of Christ, when you think of your God? Do you know he's looking for you? Do you know that he's found you? Do you know that he's faithful? Do you know that he loves you? Do you know he'll always be there for you? Oh, stand up, sing this song, be faithful, but only because he's faithful to you, Kai. He's faithful. Worship him. Acknowledge who he is. Gladly receive his love. Amen.
It was on the night when Jesus was betrayed that he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it for his disciples to eat. He said, take and eat, this is my body, it's given for you. What's he saying? He's saying, I am the God who gives myself for you. Take from me. Then again, after supper, he took the cup, he gave thanks, he poured it out to all of them to drink. He said, this cup is the new covenant. It's my blood, it's shed for you and for the forgiveness of all sins. And when you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. We're gonna open up two more stations during these last few songs. They're both gonna be in that corner over by the exit sign. One is the baptismal font. If you wanna go back and remember your baptism, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, you can touch the water of the baptism. You can touch your head, you can touch your heart. You can touch whatever you need to do, your soul. Sorry, <laughs> revisiting that joke. We're also gonna have a communion station and we'll have servers there and they'll hand you a wafer, say this is the body of Christ given for you. And we'll also have um, a cup there for you to dip the wafer in, say this is the blood of Christ shed for you. This is worship, this is what we're doing. We're gladly receiving God's love. Um, there's not gonna be real, like a real order to it. Um, I hope not everybody goes at once, it might be chaos. Um, but if the time feels right, you don't have to do this, but if, if and when the time feels right, you can go over and you can do that. We're gonna keep on singing some songs. I encourage you to stay. And I also encourage you to receive some prayer in the prayer room, to write a prayer on the prayer wall, to receive soaking prayer. This is worship. It's gladly receiving God's love. The most important instruction I can give you this, especially when we're talking about the table, the communion. Jesus Christ himself invites you to his table to receive him, to receive his love. Would you pray these words with me? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Keep on singing. Here we go.